last night. Anybody? Okay, so you're doing good to be here and, and awake, huh? So, so glad you came today. All right, let's let's go to the Book of Revelation for the next uh, several Sundays on Sunday morning. We're going to be looking at what Jesus had to say to the churches of Revelation. We're going to look at what Jesus had to say to the churches of Revelation. There are seven churches listed there, and for the next several Sundays, we'll just. I don't want to rush through this. We'll just take our time and go through and see what Jesus has to say to the churches. So let's start Revelation uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. A lot of people uh, look at the book of Revelation and, and first of all they think it's hard. They think it's, I can't understand it. It's not hard and you can understand it but you have to do some study. And uh, it's very understandable if you'll study. Uh, but a lot of times people think that the book of Revelation is about revealing who the Antichrist is. And that's not it at all. That's a part of the book of Revelation. But the main thrust of the book of Revelation is revealing who Jesus Christ is. And his, his second coming and, and all of that. That's really what the book of, of Revelation has to do with is the revelation. Notice how it starts. Does it say the revelation of the Antichrist or the revelation of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ. So that's what we need to think about when we look at the book of Revelation, not thinking about who the Antichrist is, although that is a part of the book, no question about it. But the book is chiefly about the second coming of the Lord. Now notice the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which, well, how many of us are servants? Are you his servant? So, so it's for us. We need to understand it. Things which must shortly take place. And remember, shortly, you have to look at it God's perspective. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. So it's shortly to him. It may not seem shortly to us, but shortly to him, which must shortly take place. And he sent, signified or symbolized it. A lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. Uh, Sometimes, the, the, as we'll see here in a moment, the, the Bible tells us what the symbols mean. And sometimes when they don't, you can go to other places in Scripture. If we were going to go on and study the rest of the, you know, the, the chapters other than chapters 2 and 3, we, would, you know, we could go to other places in the Bible and find out what the symbolism means in the book of Revelation. But notice a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. He signified or symbolized it by his angel to his servant John. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. So I always like to grab a hold of that. There's seems like there's a special blessing on those who study the book of Revelation and keep it. Notice and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Well, if it was near 2000 years ago, it's much more near now to the coming of the Lord. Now, notice verse four, John this is the Apostle John. This is the same man that laid his head on Jesus' chest at uh, the Last Supper. Remember that? I preached a message years ago, hearing the heartbeat of Jesus. You know, John, he's known as the Apostle of Love. He didn't start out that way. He was a very, very uh, uh, boisterous individual. Wanted to call fire down one time. Remember that? But if you hear the heartbeat of Jesus long enough... The heartbeat of Jesus, you stay close enough to Jesus to hear his heartbeat like John did at the Last Supper. You hear the heartbeat of Jesus, it'll make you into a person of love. And that's what happened to John. And this is many years later. And, and, and 
And this is who this is talking about. John, he's the one that got the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's the one who the Holy Spirit used to write the book of Revelation. All right. John did the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, this is actually Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, the western part of modern day Turkey. Now, notice what he says. Grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Now, who is it? Who is, who was, and is to come. That's Jesus, right? And notice, isn't it nice to hear from Jesus that he says grace to you and peace? Isn't that, isn't that a good thing to hear? How many of you like to hear that from the Lord? Grace and peace to you. That's better than judgment and condemnation, isn't it? Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, again, there are not seven Holy Spirits. But this is talking about the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you can get you an amplified Bible and study into that comforter, counselor, advocate, inter- intercessor, strengthener, and all of that. That's talking about his sevenfold ministry. So, so the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit is saying unto us grace and peace. Isn't that wonderful? Who are, now notice the seven spirits who are before his throne. So do you understand what the seven spirits are? Are there seven Holy Spirits? No. What's that talking about? His complete sevenfold ministry and attributes. Okay, you okay with that? So there's one Holy Spirit, seven attributes and all of that, seven sevenfold ministry. And notice, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, isn't he? And the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Isn't that wonderful? That Jesus, when we make him the Lord of our life, we're washed from our sins in his own blood. And has made us kings and priests to his God and father. Did you realize that if you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you're a king and a priest before God? You need to realize that to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with clouds and every eye shall see him. That couldn't have happened before the invention of the television and satellite. Even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. You know, there's a lot of folks not going to be happy about Jesus coming back. But I am. How about you? He says, I'm Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. That's talking about the Lord Jesus. Then notice verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion. Don't you like that about John? He didn't say... Apostle, though he could have. Prophet. He didn't say that, did he? The prophet. The apostle. He didn't say that. A very humble man. Both your brother and companion. I like running around with somebody who's got power, but they don't, they don't exercise it and, and, and flaunt it over you. Did you get what I just said there? I don't go like listening to a minister that, you know, even though he's got all these titles, he makes very little of them. That's who I like to go listen to. I don't like to go listen to a preacher that doctor this, doctor that, doctor the other, prophet this, apostle this. I don't like listening to those folk. There's something on them I don't want to get off on me. 
Did you hear what I just said? And here's a man who, who, I mean, how can you get any better than sitting next to Jesus at the Last Supper? He never flaunted that, did he? He said, your brother and companion. I want to follow somebody that's not on a pride trip. Somebody like John, how about you? You okay? I, John, both your brother and companion, in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, who was on the island that's called Patmos. Now, you see there in Asia Minor, modern-day western Turkey, about 30 miles off the coast, there's an island there. And it's called Patmos. And John was exiled there. And according to tradition, the Bible doesn't say this, but according to, to tradition, and I happen to believe it, that they tried to silence John, couldn't do it, so they boiled him in oil. And, it, and he came out unscathed. Didn't hurt him. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Didn't burn him. Is that right? Same thing happened to John in that he was boiled in oil. They tried to kill him, boil him in oil, fry him. And he came out unscathed. And so when they couldn't kill him, they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. Now, John is the only one of the original 12 disciples that died a natural death. The others were martyred. Judas hung himself, of course, uh, and went to hell. The Bible's clear on that. But the other, uh, uh, there were 11 left, right? And, and 10 of them died martyrs' deaths. I'm talking about the 12 original apostles. And John was the only one who died of what we'd say natural causes as an old man. But because they couldn't shut him up, they exiled him to Asia Minor, this island. I'm sorry. Uh, Patmos. You're allowed to say Patmos. That was the island about 30 miles off of Asia Minor. Patmos. They exiled him there. Where is he at? Patmos. He was put there for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Notice he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, what does that mean in the spirit? He was in, I believe he was, he was caught up in prayer. That's what I believe that means. He was caught up in prayer. He was in prayer. Much like what we're going to do after the service is over today. We're going, to, we're going to get over in the Spirit and pray. Did you hear what I just said? And he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a voice, a loud voice as of a what? A trumpet. Saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, first and the last. And what you see, write in a book. And send it to the seven churches. How many churches? Seven. Which are in Asia, Asia Minor. Now, notice there are seven of them. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. There are seven of them. And over the next several Sundays, we're going to go through and look, what, look at what Jesus had to say to each of those. Today is going to be more introductory. I may get in, into a little bit here of the first one today on Ephesus. We'll just see how time, time permits. But over the next several Sundays, we're going to get into each of these churches. Now, all of these churches... We're, we're, we're within 30 to 90 miles of each other. All of them were within 30 to 90 miles of each other. And uh, John was like a spiritual father to the pastors of these churches. He had probably preached in each of these churches at one time or another. You realize that you need to understand that these churches were within 30 to 90 miles of each other, the seven of them. And uh, John was like a spiritual father 
to the pastors and to the elders of these seven churches. And it very likely would have preached in all of them at one time or another. Now, as we look at these churches over the next several weeks, you need to realize that it's Jesus literally talking to the pastors and the people of these churches. And the same problems and things that they dealt with, we deal with today. And so there's much we can learn and be benefited by by what Jesus had to say to these churches. Also, too, there's a there there is a a view of these seven churches. It's called a dispensationalist view, which says that the first church had to do with the first period. How many how many years has the church been around? About two thousand. Is that right? And some say that the the, the first church of Ephesus had to do with the first period of uh, of church history. And then the next church had to do with the next so many hundreds of years of church history. And then all the way down to the last one, which is the church at Laodicea, which is a lukewarm church, which would be the church that's on the earth just preceding the Lord's coming. Now, somebody asked me one time, do I believe that? I think there's a truth in it. I think there's a truth in it. But I don't get so hung up on that that, that, you know, that... The first church had to do with the first so many hundred years and then all the way down. Because that would mean that we have to be a lukewarm church and this church isn't a lukewarm church. And there's a lot of churches in the land that's not lukewarm. Did you hear what I just said? Are you okay? Now, there's a truth in that. There is a truth in it. but, But I just don't get hung up on that dispensationalist view so much as I look at what Jesus had to say to each of these churches And we'll learn what we can learn from what he had to say to the churches. Now, there's how many churches and seven. And so so one thing I do like to say is that that seven is God's number of completion. So as we look at Jesus messages to these seven churches, we can get a complete picture of what Jesus would have to say to the church if he came in here today and talked to talk to me concerning this church. Do you understand? So 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 much we can learn from just looking at what Jesus actually had to say to these churches. Now, notice verse 12. Revelation 1.12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, here we have some symbolism. Seven golden lampstands. So rather than trying to figure out what that is, why don't we let the Bible interpret itself? That's really good to do. Let's just hold your place there and look at verse 20. And... Jesus is going to tell us what the lampstands are. Now, we're going to read verse 20. We'll come back to it again. The mystery of the seven stars. Now, we haven't got to that yet. But we'll we'll talk about the seven stars here in a moment. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, we'll say more about that in a moment. And the seven lampstands, which you saw. Now, is he going to tell us what they are? They are the what? The seven churches. So these lampstands are symbolic of the seven churches. Seven lampstands. Each one is symbolic of each of the, each one of those seven churches. Are you okay? So that's some symbolism. But but Jesus told us what the lampstands represent. They re- represent the churches. One lampstand for each church. There's seven lampstands, seven churches. Are you okay? All right. So when so back to Revelation one verse twelve. John turns to see the voice that spoke with with him. And having turned, he said, I saw seven golden lampstands. So he saw symbolically what? The seven churches. And notice verse 13. Now, I really like this. And in the midst of the seven lampstands. 
So we could say it this way. And in the midst of these seven churches, he saw somebody in the midst of those churches, one like the son of man. Who is that? Jesus. He's known as the son of man, the son of God. Okay. He's 100% man and 100% God. Clothed with a garment. Now you want to know how Jesus dresses. Well, this is this is one way. He's dressed here in his priestly outfit. Clothed with a garment. See, we're kings and priests, but he's the king of kings and he's the great high priest. Is that right? See, if you see Jesus at different times, he'll be dressed differently based on the occasion. Here, high priest. Clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. So Jesus, sharp dresser. Okay? And if you look at the garments of high priests in the Old Testament, you can see they were, they were very extravagant. And Jesus is dressed as, as a high priest here. Now notice verse 14. His head and his hair were white like wool. As white as snow. Now, I personally believe that what John was seeing here was the glory of God. And that's why he saw Jesus' hair as being white. I personally don't think Jesus' hair literally is white. It's probably brown. But he's seeing the glory of God. And it makes it look white as wool. As white as snow. In his eyes like a flame of fire. I think when you look in Jesus' eyes, you'll see, depending on the situation, you see him as a flame of fire or you'll see him as pools of living love. You know, there's many sides to the Lord Jesus. Just like there's many sides to you and me. Is that right? Do you always act the same? Or are you always the same? Huh? You'll act one way with your wife and maybe a different way with somebody else. Is that right? Depending on the relationship. Is that correct? And so, in this case, he's seeing him, eyes like a flame of fire. His feet like fine brass. As refined in a furnace. His voice, the sound of many waters. In his right hand... Seven stars. Now, what does that mean? Well, we've just read it, but let's go back to verse 20 and let's look at the seven stars. What are these seven stars in his right hand? The, verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. Well, we know what the lampstands are. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, as you get in and you look at that you, you might think, well, a, that, that, that means angel like an angelic being. But the word there is translated messenger. And actually, as we get into it, we'll see that each church, Jesus addresses to the angel of the church of Ephesus, to the angel of the church of, uh, of Pergamos, to the angel of the church of Sardis or Smyrna. Would you write a letter to an angel? No, but you would write a letter to a pastor. Somebody said... That, that if a church is really called by God, that he'll assign an angel to it. That could well be. I believe there's lots of angels around. Do you understand that? So, so you need to realize that he's not, he's, he's not, this is not talking about an angelic being. It's talking about a, a pastor. And notice back to verse 16. He had in his right hand seven stars. So those stars are the what? The pastors of those churches and is it good to know that jesus has his pastors in his right hand that's good to know isn't it 
And we'll see as we go along that some of these churches that we study about, this first one that we'll get to, Ephesus, was a mega church, had upwards of 20, 25,000 members in it. And some of them, the churches were smaller churches. And Jesus had the pastors of the big church and the pastor of the small church equally in his hand. Isn't it good to know he's no respecter of persons? The pastor of the smaller church was just as important to Jesus as the pastor of the larger church. So that verse 16, out of he had in his right hand seven stars. Those are the pastors out of his mouth went a sharp two edged sword. Now, this is symbolic. Does anybody know what the sharp two edged sword is? It's the word of God. Because we can see from the book of Ephesians, it talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. His countenance was like the sun's shining in its strength. Awesome thing here. And verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Think about that. Jesus shows up and manifests himself to the full. We'll bite the dust down. Glory of God. Power of God. Fell at his feet as dead. He laid his right hand on me saying, don't be afraid. Isn't that good to know that's what Jesus has to say to us? Don't be afraid. Isn't that good to know? Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am he who lives, who was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Isn't that good to know? I mean, there's some shopping ground right here, and we haven't even got to chapter 2. He says, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Past, present, and future. Now, notice he says, the things which you have seen. Well, that's what he's writing, writing in chapter 1. And the things which are chapters 2 and 3, the church age, which we're living in right now, which has been for about the last 2,000 years. And the things which will take place after this, after what? After the church age. Now, hold your place right there, because you see, Jesus appears to John. Things which you have seen, the things which are chapters two and three, there's seven churches. We're going to talk about that. And notice if you'll go over to chapter four real quick, right at the end of chapter three, when the church age concludes. We have Revelation four, verse one. Do you understand what I just said? Chapters two and three of Revelation have to do with what? The church. You're allowed to say the church. Church. How does the church age culminate? How does it end? It ends in Revelation four, one after these After these things, after what things? The church age. I looked and behold, the door standing open where in heaven in the first voice, which I heard was as a what the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first and we here alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? This is the rapture of the church right here. John is a type of the church. He looks a door standing open in heaven. The first voice which I heard was like a trumpet. What was it saying? Saying, come up here. That's what happens at the rapture. The church is caught up. Into heaven. And I'll show you things which must take place after this. After what? After the church age. And that's what Revelation, the rest of Revelation 4, all the way down. You don't see the church mentioned again on the earth in the book of Revelation until we come back with Jesus riding on the white horse to fight the battle of Armageddon. Is that right? 
That's right. Is it? That's, that's, that's the truth. So, so, so you see, we're living, I believe, right at the end of the church age. Right at the end, right before the Lord comes and catches us up in the rapture. You okay? And we're not seen, the church is not seen on the earth in the book of Revelation again until the end of the tribulation. Until till we come back right on the white horses behind Jesus. And he fights the battle of Armageddon. The battle is the Lord's. We don't have to fight in it. We just go and cheer him on. Is that, is that wonderful? Alright, then back to verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, we've, we've talked about that. Do you know what the seven stars are? They're the, the stars are the pastors, the lampstands are the churches. Okay? Now then, let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Now how many churches are there? Seven. It's interesting, and I'd like to give you for a reading assignment, between now and next uh, Sunday, start reading in chapters 2 and 3, and just get as far as you can. And it'll take us several weeks to cover it. But each church, with a few exceptions, receives some things from Jesus in, in his address to each of the churches. Each church got a greeting. Each church got a greeting. Each church was given an attribute of Jesus. Each church, with I think the exception of one, got a compliment. You need to realize how Jesus operates. When he comes on the scene, he does not tear down and start finding fault. First thing he does is compliments everything that he can. Now, if there's nothing there to compliment, I think the last church, Laodicea, there was just nothing for him to compliment. I don't want to have a church where there's just nothing for him to compliment. Because Jesus is going to tell the truth. He's not going to compliment you for something good if there's nothing good to compliment you for. Right? But that's how he works. He'll greet you. Then, then of course, an attribute given here and then compliment. Jesus wants to compliment. He wants to, to, to build up and edify and encourage. And then... The church has got a correction. I think all but two of them got a correction. And all but two of them got a warning to repent. So a greeting, an attribute of Jesus, a compliment, a correction, a warning to repent, and a promise. You okay? Now, three things that each of the churches got, and I want you to listen very carefully to this. Jesus said these three things to all seven churches. He said, I know your works. What does that mean? He wants each church to be a working church. Now, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. But if we're saved by grace, there ought to be good works. Is that right? So each church should be a church that's doing some work to help people. You heard my wife go through what we do for the missionaries, that we're a working church. We're helping. We're reaching out beyond the four walls of this church. We should be working out beyond the walls of the four church and we should be working inside the walls of the four church. Is that right? So each church should be a working church. And then he says this to all the churches. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. We need to be a hearing church. We need to be quick to hear what it is the Holy Ghost is saying to us through his word. And then he said this to all the churches. He that overcomes, he wants all of his churches 
local churches now, because these churches, these seven churches are local churches. He wants each one to be an overcoming church. Say overcoming. An overcoming church. I feel impressed to say this. It's not on my notes, but you need to listen. There's a church universal and the church local. There's a church universal and the church local. How do you become part of the universal church? You get born again. Did you hear me? But God has a local church for everybody to be a part of. If you're not part of a local church, I believe you're out of the will of God. Because he has a local church and a pastor for you. And he assigns them. You discover where it is you're supposed to be. And I've heard this over the years so many times, 20 years of doing this. Why why do you go to that church? Because my friends go there. No, you don't go somewhere because your friends go there. You go some. Now, I'm not talking about visiting. I'm talking about weekly, week in, week out, week in, week out. You go there because God assigned you there. And you stay there until he tells you to do otherwise. Yeah, but my friends got mad at the pastor and they left and went over there. Well, that's your friend's deal. Where did God tell you to go? Where did he tell you to be? Did you hear what I just said? You don't follow your friends to church. You follow the Holy Ghost. I'm not talking about visiting or something like that, going to a special meeting. You get what I'm talking about? I'm talking week in, week out, week in, week out. Are you okay? Are you all right? And you stay till the Lord tells you otherwise. Some people he puts in a local church for the duration. You know what I mean? Until you either go die of natural causes, you know. Or the rapture takes place. Some people he does move them around. But God's not going to have you moving, going here to this church for, for, for two weeks and then this church for three weeks and then this church for a while. And we'll see if the pastor, you, you got to come check a place out. Don't misunderstand me. But then you need, to, you need to be led by the Spirit of God and hook into that local body where he wants you to be. Did you get that? And then you stay there and you find what, it, what your place is there and you do it faithfully until God changes the assignment. And I've learned this about God. He's not changing the assignment every couple months. Now, there's always exceptions to things. I understand that. But generally speaking, you okay? You all right? Okay. How many of you know you ought to be studying the word for yourself during the week? But there's some things that you're only going to get through your pastor. Jesus was speaking to John to speak to these pastors, to speak to his people. There's some things that these people in these seven churches was only going to get through their pastor. So you need to know who your pastor is. If you can't tell me, listen to me now, if you can't tell me that quick who your pastor is, you're out of the will of God. Get in the will of God as quick as you can. Find out who he is. Are you okay? Am I trying to manipulate you here now? No, I'm trying to, and I'm just on the other side of that. You find out where God wants you to be and be there faithful. Is that right? So he wants all of us to be, all, all the churches to be a working church, to be a hearing church, and to be a what? A overcoming. Now, did you get that now? I'm trying to go slow. See, I wanted to jump right into chapter two, but the Lord directed me, take some time here with chapter one to get you a good foundation. Each church needs to be first a what? A Working, hearing, overcoming. It doesn't matter the order. 
But you need to get these three. Now, I'm not moving on until we get it. Three things. First, working, hearing, overcoming. You okay? Working, hearing, overcoming. He didn't say gossiping, did he? You know, there's a lot of gossip in churches out there. We, I, I could get on that and talk for a while. But let's say it again. Say, say working, hearing, overcoming. That's pretty good, isn't it? Now, notice here. Chapter two, verse one to the angel. Now, who's who's given the message? Jesus. Who's he given it to? He's given it to John to give to the pastor, to the angel. Now, is this an angelic being or is this a pastor to the pastor of the church of Ephesus? Right. So now notice these things says he who holds the seven stars. Those are the pastors in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, which are the churches. So he's right in here now to the church at Ephesus and he gives an attribute of himself, doesn't he? Jesus is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the lampstands. Did you know Jesus walks in the midst of every church? Who walks up and down every aisle. He does. He walks up and, and he knows our works. He knows my works. He knows your works. He knows what we do in public and he knows what we do in private. The thing that impresses him is not what we do in public. The thing that really impresses him is what we do in private. And he that sees in secret will reward openly. Anybody can act like a Christian in church. But what are you doing when nobody's looking? What am I doing when nobody's looking? Huh? You okay with that? Jesus knows because he knows our works. And we'll see that he says that to each of the churches. Now... Is it okay? Can we go on just a little longer? Are you ready to go home? On a little longer? Let's go on just a little longer. Let me give you some background of the, of the book of, of, of the, the church at Ephesus. Is it okay if I give you some background? I think if you understand the background of, of each of these churches, you'll better understand what Jesus was saying to them. So let me go on for maybe about ten more minutes and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll close up here and then we'll pick up next week. Let's just see how far we get. Ephesus was a port city located in the western coast of modern-day Turkey. It was the largest city of Asia Minor. Now, we're talking about the church at Ephesus that Jesus is addressing here, giving you some background. It was the largest city of Asia Minor. It had a harbor. It, it, it was a place through which multitudes traveled. It was a trade center. They had about half a million people. In the city and they had about 20, 25,000 people that went to this church. It was the mega church of its day. This church in Ephesus. I think you'll be shocked to find out who the pastor was. It was known as the crown jewel of Asia Minor. It had a refined culture. There were 20 or so pagan temples. Temples to false gods set up in, in the city of Ephesus. Very religious city with false religion. 
The worship in these temples was sexual in nature. Organized crime was rampant. They had gyms, public baths, indoor plumbing for the wealthy. They had a magnificent library. They had a massive amphitheater which seated 24,000 people. They had many activities that went on in that theater. Gladiators would fight. Wild beasts would come in and fight the gladiators. That's what went on in the city of Ephesus. It was very famous for the temple that it had there to the Greek goddess known as uh, Artemis. Artemis. Her Roman name was Diana. A shrine was built to her there. I'm trying to give you this background so you can see what was going on around where this church was. A shrine was built to her and was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. She was a fertility goddess. False goddess. Because you know these are just masks for Satan. Do you understand that? Can I give you a little side journey here? Can I give you a little side journey? Satan wanted to sit... On the mountain of God. Remember that? And he got kicked out of heaven. Is that right? So here upon the earth. If you go over to Jerusalem. And you look at where Solomon's temple sat. It was on the mountain of God. But that's not sitting there anymore. There's something else sitting there. It's known as the dome of the rock. Which is the Muslim, the, the Islamic, huh? So if Satan can't set his throne up on the hill of God in heaven, he'll take the next best thing. And he'll set it up here in the earth. And that's, it's not set right where the temple of Solomon sat. Now you got the dome of the rock, which is Islamic, which tells you all you need to know about the Islamic religion. It's a mask. I'm sorry, I'm not taking it back. It's a mask for Satan and the devil. Did you hear what he just said? Now, we're praying for the Muslim world. Somebody said, Pastor Terry, you hate the Muslim. No, no, no. We're praying for them. But it's just that Islam is not another way to God. Do you, need, you need to understand that. You okay? Now, in this uh, temple to Artemis, you see the way to get a pagan god to bless you was to do the thing that would excite them. Therefore, there was much sexual activity going on in Ephesus and in in prostitution. And uh, actually, the temple of Artemis became the world's largest bank. They had the world's, world's largest bank there in Ephesus. You need to know this. Ephesus was a hub of demonic activity. Witchcraft and sorcery running rampant. You need to remember that for what I'm going to tell you here in just a moment. Paul, now, 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 we read the Bible, we read the book of Acts, and we go right over this a lot of times. Listen carefully. Paul, the apostle, founded this church in Ephesus during his second missionary journey. You remember when he went into the upper coast there and he found those 12 guys and he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Remember that? 
He said, we don't know whether there'd be a Holy Ghost. And long story short, he got him filled with the Holy Ghost. Is that right? He took these 12 guys into the city and started this church. He stayed there for three years. Paul did the longest of any of his stays on his missionary journeys. What he did was, is he went in and he preached for, I think it was three months in a synagogue until his message was rejected. And then he apparently rented the school of Tyrannus, who was evidently a philosopher who taught philosophy to a bunch of students. And then Paul rented, rented that out and, and taught the gospel. This is the same place where the Bible says God wrought unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Remember that? That was here in Ephesus. I'd like to have a usual miracle, but think about unusual miracles. This is the same place where the seven sons of Sceva, those demonic guys, uh, remember that they, they were they were uh, itinerant uh, preachers and and there was this demon possessed guy. Remember that? And they went in there. These seven sons of Sceva, they went in there and said, we adjure you. They said this to the fellow that had the demon in. We adjure you by by Jesus, whom Paul preaches to come out of the guy. Remember that? Remember that? See, they didn't know Jesus for themselves. And so we're going to they saw Paul do it. So we'll do it. And remember that guy that had a demon in him. He, they tore him up. Remember that? Well, that's in Ephesus. Paul went in there and he preached the gospel and unusual miracles were taking place. And he was casting demons out of people and getting people set free and so on and so forth. And people, they had a revival there and people got born again. And they took. They took their magic books, which cost a whole lot of money, and they had a book burning. Remember that? They burned all that, that demonic stuff. That happened right here in Ephesus. That's where it took place. I mean, these people got saved, and they got, they got saved, and they were serious about serving God. And their church grew to some 20,000 people. I mean, just, it, 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 it got to the point where, these craftsmen who made these shrines for this Diana, this Artemis, the, gospel, the Bible said the word of God grew mightily and prevailed there in Ephesus to the point it was shutting these, it was shutting these tradesmen down that were making these, these, these artifacts for this, uh, this temple. Wouldn't you like to have a move of God like that in this city? Wouldn't you like to have a move of God like that in this country? Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's what we're going to be praying about here in a few minutes. And uh, much more we could say about it, but this church of Ephesus eventually became the Apostle John's headquarters. He eventually moved to Ephesus some years later, before he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, and then after his exile he came back here to Ephesus. And you know who he brought, tradition says, and I can't prove it, but many people believe this is true. You know who he brought with him when he came to Ephesus? You know who was a member there in the church of Ephesus? Who did Jesus turn over to John when he was hanging on the cross? Mother is Mary his mother. Mary was a apparently a member at this church that we're going to be talking about. Wouldn't that be something to get up and preach as a pastor in that church and you have Mary the mother of Jesus there on the front row? You better be sure you have your details right. About Jesus on that one. Is that right? And you know who the lead pastor of this church was? Timothy. Timothy. You okay? Now you got some background. 
Let's go to Revelation 2.2. 2, and I'm almost done here for the day. Just hold, hold, hold tight here for a few more minutes. So Revelation 2.2. 2, do you have a background of Ephesus now? Now what does Jesus say to them? I know your works. Your labor. Your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. Is he pointing out good stuff here? He know, I know your works. I know your labor. Your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil. And I want to camp on this next one. I'm going to pick up on this next one next week. So I'll close right here. But I want to pick up with this. But I want to close it and, and get you thinking. And then we'll pick up right here. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. This is something that people have criticized me and 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 criticized me me on over the years. I've had people leave this church by the droves because I did something That Jesus approves of and is pleased with. I have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. I have stood in this pulpit over the years when when a certain preacher rises to prominence or a certain revival rises to prominence. And I'll examine that thing. And I'll study that thing. And I'll listen to that preacher. And I don't get up here and call names. I don't do that. I'm not here to I, I, to be judgmental. But see, that's what people, they get, hey, you're being judgmental, Pastor Terry. You're, you're being judgmental. You're being judgmental. No, I'm pleasing Jesus. I have a responsibility to protect you. And a big, that big revival rose up down there in Florida some years back. And I examined it. I studied it. The one where that guy was running into people with his head and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And I examined that and, and I could see that wasn't of the Lord. And I got up and I was very nice. I didn't call names. I just. And I said, be careful of that. Be watchful of that. Because some people in the church were getting hooked up. And I said, be careful. Be watchful of that. I don't believe that's of the Lord. <laughs> And sure enough, a couple of months came and went and they revealed it was all just a bunch of hooey. There was stuff going on down there that shouldn't have been going on. Now people get mad at me over that. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. That pleases Jesus. Now you've got to be careful here. You know, I don't get up here and just bash people. We're not supposed to get up here and bash people, but we're supposed to test What people are saying against the word of God. Is that right? I stood here in a pulpit. This pulpit. Right after a certain minister went on national television and they asked the person. They said. Is Jesus the only way to get to the father and be saved? And this person said, well, he's the best way. A man who pastors one of the largest churches in the nation. And I. Listen, that's a heaven hell issue. Now, we might disagree on the rapture, when it is and, and, and who's going and, and, and blah, 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 blah. We might disagree on who the Antichrist is and what country he rises out of. That's all non-essential stuff. Can you say amen? I don't talk about that. That We may disagree on that. That's no big deal. 
But when you're talking heaven, hell stuff, that's where ministers of the gospel need to stand up and judge something in line with the word of God. Not be judgmental towards the person, but be judgmental towards not not judgmental, but examine what they're saying. My goodness, we need to do that. This is heaven, hell stuff. Are you okay? Are you, are you mad at me? And I said, I said, look, guys, that you got to be very careful when somebody is on national television and they won't tell you the truth. How do you get to Jesus? How do you get to heaven? Is Jesus the only way? Well, he's the best way. Well, if he's the best way, then that means that there's other ways that. No, he's the only way. Is, is that right? And I just said, you need to be watchful about that. You need to be watchful about people that's always throwing sugar cookies out. To a congregation all the time. Look, listen to me. I think that the majority of the messages a preacher preaches ought to be uplifting and encouraging and all of that. But when that's what you get all the time, that's not a healthy pulpit to sit under. What if I was going to feed you banana splits all the time? I'm talking about we're going to have banana splits all the time. I'd be, now look, I'd be rejoicing. Glory to God. But if that's all I ever gave you, you're gonna, you're gonna have worms growing out of your tummy in the process of time. Is that right? Huh? So I'm all for the encouraging message. I'm all for the uplifting. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I'm, amen. But when that's all you're getting, all the time, 24-7, there's something wrong. Just like there's something wrong if all you're getting is beat somebody beating on the pulpit all the time. That's not right either. Is that right? Are you okay? And I have had folks, I have had people get mad at me. I mean mad as a wet hornet. And, 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 and the day that I said that, Jesus said, You have tested those who say they're apostles and are not found them liars. The day I said that, I had a lady come to me right back at that door. And I had a security team at that time, and I thought I was going to need the security team for this little lady that came to me at that door. And she was mad as a wet hornet. She said, I know who you're talking about. I know who you're talking about. I said, yes. I know who you're talking about. I said, I didn't call any. Name. I know who you're talking about. And I said, ma'am, this is a heaven-hell issue. She said, I don't care. He makes me feel good. And he makes me feel good. And I'm going to listen to him because he makes me feel good. Well, now you've got to decide what kind of a pastor you want. Now you don't want somebody up here that's just disparaging folks, and I don't do that. But you do want somebody that's going to test these things. And you need to be testing them for yourself. I mean, you don't need me to do the testing for you, but all I'm going to do is come in and give you a word of confirmation. But I've got had people get mad as a wet hornet and leave this church because he is judgmental. He is being judgmental. He's not walking in love. I have had people by the droves. I've warned about, and you're going to see it. You're going to see it as we get into into one of these churches that's up. Actually, we're going to see it next Sunday. Where Paul trained Timothy to not let any false doctrine get up in that pulpit in Ephesus. And I'm going to give you a scripture next week that will make you think twice. But 
People that preachers that are talking about prosperity, 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 prosperity. They wouldn't have gotten in the pulpit in Ephesus. Timothy wouldn't let him in there. I believe in prosperity, but you don't talk about prosperity as a preacher continuously. You don't need to get up in the pulpit and talk about you need some, some million dollar jet to get from one place to the other. You don't that doesn't even that has no that doesn't need to be talked about in the pulpit. How you get from one meeting to another that that, that doesn't need to come into the pulpit. Did you hear me? I said that does not need to come into the pulpit. It wouldn't have got in the pulpit in Ephesus. You need to realize some of these big ministers you see on television would not have gotten into Paul's pulpit, Timothy's pulpit in Ephesus. You need to understand that. And I get up and I say some things about it, just sporadically over the years, these different things. And people get mad as a wet hornet at me. And they say, I'm not walking in love. But you know what? I take great comfort in this. And I don't say this with any... uh, uh, Meanness, but I'm not here to please you. I'm here to help you. And, and if Jesus is pleased what I'm doing with, with what I'm doing, then I'm in pretty good shape. And what did he say here? You have look at this again. And we'll close. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Are we supposed to be judgmental of the people and mean? No. But are we supposed to listen to what they're saying and judge it against the word of God? And when we do that, that pleases the Lord Jesus. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. We're going to see that this church in Ephesus was a church of doctrinal purity. They kept their, their they, the pulpit was clean. It was the word of God. It was solid. It was founded by Paul. It was founded by Jesus, but he used Paul to found it. And Paul trained Timothy. Timothy went into that pulpit. It was a pulpit of doctrinal purity. But they had another problem in that church. And Jesus warned them about it. And they wouldn't repent. And over a hundred year period of time, they wouldn't repent. And it ultimately shut the church down. And we'll talk about some more of these things I just talked about today. And then about that next time. Did you get anything out of this today? You okay? Okay. And none of you are mad at me, are you? Okay, stand with me if you would. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your holy written word. We just, sir, we want to be a working church, an overcoming church. Oh, I just can't wait to share with the people what you've shown me. Over the years about overcoming and what that means. And we'll get into that, sir. I'm looking forward to that. And the two sides of overcoming. We'll see that. I'm so excited about this series, Lord. But, sir, we want to be an overcoming church, a hearing church, a working church. But a hearing church. So I pray that we would all be able to hear what it is the Spirit of God. 